It seems to me that the readings today, all of them talk about the virtue and the gift of faith. But most people think that faith is something really private, subjective, subjective and sentimental. Sentimental because it's just about feelings and moods and emotions that we uh, maybe project into God which is a really unfair uh, objection because it doesn't prove, any, prove anything. But that, um, that is just that. Faith is a bunch of emotions that we call God. But if, it's, if it's faith is that, then of course it is subjective because all emotions are subjective and they cannot Make, you cannot make other people feel the same way you feel about anything, really. There is no ground, for sure, um, for something objective. It's just a matter of liking, we might say, a matter of, of taste and, and nothing, nothing else. So we can easily remove it from public discussion or any serious discussion, objective discussion about it. And it becomes something private, of course, because it's being private is just a consequence of the other two points. You cannot share or pretend that other people like what you like. So you might as well like Taco Bell, but that does not mean that we all have to like it, right? And I know some people are going to discuss about Taco Bell afterwards, but... <laughs> But for all these reasons, faith seems to be something weak and shaky. But is, that is exactly the opposite of what we read in the second reading today, which we should not pass by very quickly. St. Paul says, St. John, sorry, says, the victory that conquers the world is our faith. Well, that is quite a statement. If our faith is what gives us victory over the world, it must be something else than just feelings and emotions, something subjective and private. And today we have Thomas in the gospel, the doubting Thomas, demanding a proof and evidence of, of, of Jesus. He's not totally scientific, if you want. He didn't took out um, a, a measuring tape to see if the, the marks of, in the hands of Jesus were the same size as Jesus in the cross. It was not truly scientific, but he wanted some sort of evidence that Jesus was alive, and he refused to believe in the, in the beginning. But he's also an example towards the end of his life of the transformation of faith. Because remember that St. Thomas preached the gospel not only in Jerusalem, but although he ended up in, in, in India, in southern India, and that's where his body is nowadays. But do we have any evidence? Can we trust in the, in the faith, in the resurrection? It is an important question. And I'm sure I, I, I will point out three things. The witnesses, the courage, and the wonders that happen around the resurrection, or that could be evidence of the resurrection for us, to help us believe more 
in this awesome fact of the resurrection. First, the witnesses. Clearly, no one saw Jesus coming out of the tomb. No one knows the exact hour of Jesus' resurrection. But that is not the important thing. The important thing is that it happened. And notice that the first witness, it's a woman. And for that, that for us doesn't say much. Okay, well, it's a woman, could, could have been anyone else. But not so for first century Jews. Women could not bear witness at any court. Their word was just not taken. <laughs> They were not heard. It was an invalid testimony. And notice that the first Christians insist that the first trustworthy person in whom we have to rely for the resurrection is a woman with a very bad reputation who had seven demons and had been exorcised <laughs> and who had no power in any court to testify. That's a very poor choice if you're going to make something up. Unless it really happened. The sequence is so beautiful that we have been reading this, this week that we heard last Sunday as well. Mary, tell us, what have you seen? Mary Magdalene, what have you seen on the way? I've seen the shroud at the empty tomb, she says. She's the first witness. So much so that they have to hide the evidence. And that's what the Sanhedrin does. In the Gospel of Matthew, it says that they bribe the soldiers. This is what it says. While the women were going after the apparition of Jesus, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had happened. They assembled with the elders and took counsel. Then they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers, telling them, you are to say, his disciples came by night and stole him while we were asleep. And if this gets to the ears of the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So it was so obvious that, in fact, it took effort to cover it up. And for a while, that story was um, common among the, the first century Jews. Then it just disappeared because it was simply not true. And many more saw Jesus resurrected. St. Paul, talking about the resurrection, he says, after appearing to Peter, he appeared to more than 500 brothers at once. Most of them are still living, though some have fallen asleep. After that, he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one, one born abnormally, he appeared to me. Why would all of them lie at the cost of their own lives if it were not true? So we know that the witness of the apostles and the first Christians, it is the, sort of an evidence, if you want. It's true, it's not a scientific evidence, but it's good enough because all those people said that Jesus, that they had seen the risen Christ at a very high price. It is not just emotions. <laughs> it is not just weak 
but also the courage, and this is the second point, of those witnesses. The gospel today says that he appears, Jesus appears twice in the gospel. And both times, the disciples are gathered behind locked doors. And it specifically says, for fear of the Jews, they were afraid. And how come you not be afraid if you were one of those apostles? You have seen what they have done to Jesus. And guess after whom are they coming next? Of course they are afraid, but something changes that we cannot explain unless they have seen the risen Christ. Because if you read specifically the Acts of the Apostles, their boldness, it's incredible. When they are presented in front of the Sanhedrin, they threat the apostles. Afterwards, they will, they will persecute them. But they say, don't talk about the name of Jesus. You are forbidden to talk about that person again. We'll release you, but we warn you that this is the last chance we're giving you. The Sanhedrin had the power to persecute them. In fact, had the power to crucify Christ with the help of Pilate. When they heard the threat of the Sanhedrin, they replied, whether it is right in the sight of God for us to obey you rather than God, you be the judges. It is impossible for us not to speak about what we have seen and heard. Quite a response, knowing what they could do to them. And this is what we are called to a total transformation in the faith. We are to become, like Thomas, courageous witnesses of the resurrection of Christ. And that is the distinct note of a good Christian. When they elected, after Jesus' ascension into heaven, someone to replace Judas, who had killed himself, they brought different people, two different persons. And Peter said, it has to be someone who could be a witness to the resurrection. That was the only requisite to be an apostle, to be a witness of the resurrection. And they chose two. Sorry, they presented two, and they chose the best, Matthias. But that is the, the one note of a Christian to be a witness of the resurrection. For that, we have to be bold. And I encourage you not only, not only to look in the Acts of the Apostles, how the disciples became witnesses, not only how they became bold witnesses, but also how, when they become, became bold witnesses of the resurrection, the Lord started to do miracles and wonders in their midst. And I wonder if maybe there are not more miracles among us because we fail to be courageous witnesses of the resurrection. Because the second reading says that the apostles 
preached with great power and bore witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. That is our first reading today. And great favor was accorded them all. Healings and miracles accompanied them, and the Lord showed and bestowed on them that power, wonders, miracles, new things. When we decide to be courageous, courageous witnesses of the resurrection, for that we have to know deep down inside that only our faith can conquer the world. And in fact, John was right. In 300 years, the pagan capital of Rome became an icon and the capital of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is what the Lord does with his power if we let him. Faith is not weak. Faith is the strongest thing on earth. It can transform empires. And in God, it's the only power at work that really transforms 100% a person. Nothing else transforms a person like true and living faith. Nothing. And that is why we have to really ask ourselves, do I need to grow in my faith? Do I need a stronger faith? Probably we do. Probably we are a little bit like Thomas before sticking his fingers in Jesus' nail marks. No, the faith is not subjective. It's not an emotion. It's a fact. It's an event. So I would encourage you. I know more, more, some of you read the gospel every day. Read during this Easter season. Pay very much attention to the first readings for the daily mass. Most of them are taken for, from the Acts of the Apostles. And if you want to take up the challenge, read the entire Acts of the Apostles. It is the easiest book in the Bible, in my opinion, to read, because it's a story and it's engaging and there's always things happening. And it just shows what true faith does in the world. And when you read it, think, why is this not happening to me? Because we all have to receive that faith and embrace the resurrection and grow in that faith. And with that, we know that nothing would be the same.